Top 10 takeaways live. Here we are, everyone. How are you doing? As you guys can see, I'm doing my best podfather impression with the backwards hat today. And our first takeaway of the morning is they better give us all the Mahomes and Burrow AFC championship games we can get over the next decade. It was another good installment in the series. Unfortunately, the refs got a little too involved there in the end. And it, it was it was a great game from start to finish. Mahomes making that play on his bum ankle running down the sideline was really impressive. And I think that just it gives me a lot of excitement for the future of the AFC playoffs. I mean, we're going to get hopefully lots more Mahomes and Burrow matchups. There's obviously going to be Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, all kicking in to to fight up for this AFC championship. So these are going to be great games, I think, for the next five, 10 years. And let's just hope that we get more of these Mahomes and Burrow AFC championship games. Mahomes kind of outplayed Burrow, surprisingly. We knew that he was going in with the injury. Burrow had 0.01 EPA per play. Mahomes 0.20 yesterday. 10 total expected points added for Mahomes. Only 0.4 for Joe Burrow. Those two interceptions were pretty costly, of course, and they just couldn't quite get the Bengals through. I honestly thought the Bengals were going to come through again, make that same comeback they did last year. It never got quite as far out of hand as it did last year. But at the end of the day, the Chiefs were the Chiefs. Andy Reid tried to lose the game for them with that punt, but they they were able to get the ball back and they were able to come back and win it. So good on them. And yeah, let's just, you know, hopefully we're going to keep seeing more of these Mahomes and Burrow, Mahomes and Allen, Burrow and Allen, Lamar Jackson, if he stays in the AFC, you know, pending his situation with the Ravens. But we, we've got some exciting playoff football coming for years and years. So that's a, you know, starting us off on a good note there. And then our second takeaway from yesterday is the Eagles opened as two point favorites over the Chiefs. This Super Bowl is going to be really great. I think the over under on the game was 49 and a half. So these are just two of the best teams from this entire season. Eagles have an absolutely loaded roster. We've seen them dominate both sides of the ball. Their weapons are crazy. Their O-line is crazy. The defensive backs are probably one of the best in the league. Hassan Reddick quietly having an underrated season, even with all his sacks. And he obviously had a huge impact on the game yesterday. Eagles have been loaded. Chiefs, they've been here their fifth AFC championship game in a row. And the third time Mahomes has gone to the Super Bowl in the last four years. This is obviously going to be Andy Reid's revenge game. He was fired by the Eagles and now he gets to play them in the biggest stage in the sport so that is just exciting and i think that he's going to bring all the special the special sauce out of the playbook for this one so i'm excited to see what he cooks up for us and another note here is the eagles have had probably the easiest path to the super bowl in modern history i mean think about the fact they had the one seed then they played the daniel jones giants in the divisional round like total fraud team we knew they had a nice season but they didn't really belong in the playoffs. They completely stomped them. And then in the NFC Championship game, they get to play the Niners, who were a great roster all season. That defense was impenetrable for most of the second half of the season. And then, of course, Brock Purdy gets hurt in the first quarter. Might have been, it was either the first or second possession of the game. And then from there on out, it was just a complete stomping for the Eagles. So I think that they've been lucky to have as easy of a path 
as they've had. I mean, winning their two games so far by a combined 55 points. They've outscored the Giants and the Niners in those two playoff games by a total score of 69 to 14. That is crazy. So they're going to have a real matchup on their hands for probably the first time in this Super Bowl against the Chiefs. Really excited to be boots on the ground there for that preview. Both the one seeds making it through. It's been a while since we've seen that. Last year's Super Bowl, as you guys remember, was two of the four seeds. So pretty pretty exciting to see both these favorites make it through. And hopefully that two weeks off gives Mahomes some time to get healthy, which kind of leads right into our next takeaway. The Chiefs just have to get healthy for the Super Bowl. Mahomes' ankle, obviously he's going to have two more weeks to recover. He was able to play yesterday. He looked better, a lot better than he did last week, but clearly not 100%. Travis Kelsey's back injury, I mean, he was we were told he was questionable up until kickoff like they two i think 2 hours before kickoff was the report that he may or may not be able to play and they got to see how he warms up all this stuff kind of kind of spooked everyone on Kelsey's health but he ended up being just fine still balled out he had i think it was seven catches 78 yards and a touchdown so great game for Kelsey even though there was some concern about his back injury obviously he's going to have 2 weeks of rest But more importantly, the wide receiver room of the Chiefs took an absolute beating yesterday. I mean, we're talking about Juju Smith-Schuster left the game. Kadarius Toney left the game. Mikkel Hardman, in his return, had been injured since week nine, aggravated his pelvic injury. I think it was, yeah, I think it was a hip injury. And they were down to, you know, rolling out with Marcus Kemp and Sky Moore alongside MVS at the end of yesterday's game. They got to be healthier than that if they want to have a fair shot against the Eagles. So I think that it'll be critical to monitor the health of those three receivers over the course of these next couple weeks. And then on the defensive side of the ball, their top cornerback, Legereus Sneed, had a concussion early in the game. They had three rookies on in their defensive back for most of the game yesterday. So they were very impressive performances from those rookies, intercepting Joe Burrow twice, making some great plays. But at the end of the day, you're going to want your best cornerback active in the Super Bowl when you're facing A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. So the Chiefs need to get right, need to get healthy in order to have a fair shot at this Super Bowl. And then my personal favorite takeaway of the day, takeaway number four, has to do with fourth downs. I mean, going for fourth downs is so hot right now. (laughs) It's a Zoolander reference for those of you guys that are out there. But think about the Eagles' two touchdown drives in the first half that happened before the fumble that that um, Josh Johnson had. The two Eagles touchdown drives before that, they had fourth down conversions on both of them. I mean, you're talking about a fourth and three near midfield where they went for it and got it. That was the one with the controversial Devontae Smith catch. Not really a catch, but I, I've got so much more to say about the refs for you guys in a little bit. And then, of course, the fourth and inches inside of their own 35-yard line. How many coaches would be willing to go for that? The confidence that Nick Sirianni has in Jalen Hurts, in that offensive line, it just makes that team so much more deadly to know that you have to stop them four times instead of three. So just super powerful show from the Eagles on that front. Very good on Nick Sirianni to be bold enough to go for those fourth downs and then in the AFC game we also saw some very bold fourth down plays Andy Reid normally a bit more hesitant to go for fourth downs Chiefs went for a fourth and one inside a field goal range and that play was a touchdown to Travis Kelsey Mahomes rolled out was able to you know just get that 
even though he was on his bum ankle, he was able to get out of the pocket and find Travis Kelsey for that touchdown on a fourth and one. Absolutely critical. They went up 13 to six instead of 13. I think it was 13 to three instead of nine to three. And obviously that would have ended up being the difference in the game. So very huge to be going for these fourth downs. And then, of course, on the Bengals side of things, they had a fourth and six near midfield. Everyone thought, ah, they're probably just going to punt here. Maybe they're lining up to try to get a jump off sides and make it a fourth and one. But no, they just went for the fourth and six. Joe Burrow threw it, threaded the needle for Jamar Chase, just completely right between two defenders. Incredible catch, incredible throw. And that's what I love to see. I mean, as someone who is like knee deep in football analytics, seeing these fourth down conversions, seeing these coaches get more and more aggressive when the moment matters the most, absolutely my favorite part of the day. And then that brings us to our next takeaway, which is the Bengals offensive line and their injuries were finally exposed in this game. Everyone was worried last week with the Bills matchup that maybe they, they, you know, how would Joe Burrow stay upright? And I think that the snow ultimately came to help them. It was harder for the Bills pass rushers to, you know, get good footing and get after Joe Burrow. But that was not the case yesterday. I mean, you had three backups in for the offensive line, right? Lyle Collins at right tackle was injured. Alex Kappa, right guard, was injured. And Jonah Williams, their left tackle, was injured. And at the end of the day, it's really hard to have a patchwork offensive line and win the AFC championship game. We saw obviously a great performance from that backup O-line in Buffalo, but they were not able to repeat that. And that's just, that's ultimately what killed them. I mean, I think Burrow took, it was five or six sacks yesterday. So you can't, it's really hard to win when you're playing that way. And credit to the Chiefs defensive line. I mean, Chris Jones, Frank Clark, um, I think Mike Dana is another guy who had a great game. Just a lot of, great performances from that Chiefs defensive line. They were able to create enough pressure on Burrow, enough torment for that entire O-line unit. And that that was a big part of what decided the game. So big, big credit to the Chiefs defensive line for stepping up. And the Bengals offensive line, I mean, it's just tough luck. You get three offensive line injuries down the stretch of the season. They played, they, they were a big improvement over last year for most of this season. Obviously, they were still kind of a run-of-the-mill league average offensive line but that was a huge improvement from where they were last season and that luck ran out their offensive line I think was a big part of why they weren't able to do more on offense yesterday obviously and just looking at the Bengals future I mean some of their key free agents a lot of them are in the secondary Jesse Bates and Von Bell both of their starting safeties Eli Apple the cornerback I mean Eli Apple obviously has been um, trolled to death and his his tweets are a little bit ridiculous, but at the end of the day, he's a veteran contributor, and a lot of what the Bengals do on defense is dependent on these veterans knowing where to be, having good communication before the play, and being able to adjust to things pre-snap. So they need to, you know, do their best to retain these free agents. They're also gonna, you know, have to re-sign Hayden Hurst. He was a one-year deal. He contributed pretty nicely on their offense. I think especially down the stretch in these playoff games, he's made a lot of key plays. I mean, that third and 16 conversion late in the game yesterday, I thought the Bengals didn't have a chance of getting that. And he Burrow found Hayden Hurst. And then Hayden Hurst converted a key third down on a third and nine where he hurdled that guy last week against the Bills. So some key free agents there for you guys to keep track of on the Bengals this offseason. I think that you know, they're going to have to fight an uphill battle to stay at the top of the AFC. Like I said, there's a lot of talented quarterbacks. There's a lot of talented rosters, 
that are waiting to you know take a stab at the Bengals, take a stab at the Chiefs. So these teams are going to have to fight to stay up there for sure. And that leads us to talking about the other loser of yesterday, the 49ers. Biggest takeaway for the 49ers on my end is they just need Trey Lance to deliver. Trey Lance better be what he was promised to be, and they need him to you know to, to be as good as they hoped he could be when they traded three first-round picks to trade up and grab him. Brock Purdy is obviously not a long-term solution. I don't think any of us are debating that anymore at this point. The turnover-worthy plays all 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 the time he's been starting. I mean, he was lucky to have so many dropped interceptions. And I think at the end of the day, they need that element of the running quarterback threat from Trey Lance. Like that's just going to unlock this offense so much more. And, you know, we just hope that he he's healthy enough and he's still able to be mobile enough and that his development as a quarterback just from the mental side of the game is still able was able to continue over the course of this season. I mean, if he's able to be an average or above average quarterback and create outside of structure in the way that we've seen Brock Purdy do more of that than Jimmy Garoppolo was capable of. But I think at the end of the day, they're going to need that star quarterback that they drafted in the first round to deliver because think about it. The rookie contract for Trey Lance is only two, only three years left on his rookie contract. And that's two years plus the fifth year option. And the 49ers are already paying huge contracts to Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, a lot of studs on that team, a lot of five-star players, but they're paying those guys like five-star players. So you need that value at quarterback. The Niners only have $13 million in cap space for 2023 based on the projected cap numbers that came out this morning. So the 49ers are going to need Trey Lance to deliver on that promise of being a first round draft pick number three overall, and to be an above average quarterback for them. If they want to continue staying at the top of the NFC and they're just like, we've seen this team max out at the NFC championship game with Garoppolo with Brock Purdy and I think that they just need that quarterback who's going to raise the ceiling of the entire offense in order to really push for a Super Bowl. And the 49ers have all their eggs in that Trey Lance basket right now. I think they're going to have to let Jimmy Garoppolo go. They're going to have to, you know, send Brock Purdy back to the bench. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with Trey Lance over this upcoming season and for fantasy purposes and for real life, you know, 49ers purposes. And that leads us to the other side of that NFC championship game. The Eagles just absolutely dominated in the trenches once again. I mean, their offensive line created so much separation for every play on all run plays. The Eagles had a higher EPA than their pass plays. It was 0.15 EPA per play running 0.09 EPA per play passing. Of course, we know that this game got really out of hand basically by halftime. It was it was a miracle that the 49ers were able to keep it close through those injuries in the second half. And then those back-to-back touchdowns right before halftime just completely, I think, just kind of silenced the 49ers altogether. And then in the second half with Josh Johnson getting concussed and simply only running the ball. I don't know what Kyle Shanahan was thinking when he didn't you know, get come up with more gadgets or anything like that, but that, that was all we got. And basically the, the Eagles offensive line just continued to dominate i think the niners defense was probably the other best defense in the league this entire season and they went blow for blow for most of that first half but at the end of the day 
if your offense can't keep your defense on the field, which was obviously the case for the 49ers, that defense is just going to get exhausted trying to block every play. I mean, the Eagles were sustaining drives of 10 plus plays because we know they're willing to go for it on fourth downs. We know that they're going to run the ball at us. And at the end of the day, you can't, you can't play defense forever. I mean, they ran 72 plays on offense to the 49ers, 46 plays on offense. So huge gap there. And it showed in just how that offensive line was able to physically dominate. Also, you know, the Eagles are going to need their offensive line to be fully healthy for the Super Bowl as well. I mean, we saw Landon Dickerson go down yesterday. Lane Johnson said that he was playing through, I think it was a ruptured groin or something. He had a major injury, too, that he was playing through, which is just crazy. Lane Johnson, that guy is a stud. But overall, the Eagles, that offensive line, probably one of the best units in the NFL and they continue to dominate. And their defensive line, I mean, what do we have to say? Hassan Reddick broke the game open early, multiple sacks. And they just have so many guys that can beat you up front. Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham. Now they have Indomitian Sue and Linval Joseph plugging some holes. Jordan Davis, young stud right there in the defensive tackle. So lots and lots of talent for the Eagles on both sides of the trenches. And that absolutely showed yesterday. And I think that we're, we're going to, you know, continue to see that in the Super Bowl. I imagine they've been just the best team up front all season. And then our eighth takeaway here today is the broadcast absolutely did Joseph Osai dirty, just completely. How many shots zooming in on him crying after the game? I think it was it was just cruel. Like whoever was making the calls on you know the, the CBS side of things and the little control booth should feel so bad about themselves and so bad for what they did to him. As Tony Romo was saying right before that play, he had a great game. He had made some critical plays of keeping Mahomes in the pocket, closing down on him, and he had played a great game up until that point. On top of this, too, the referees kind of missed a holding penalty on that same play. If you watch the replay and look at Orlando Brown's matchup with Trey Hendrickson at left tackle, there was something that you you might think that that could have been called a holding on them, but that wasn't there. And at the end of the day, it was just like, the way that the media handled just constantly panning over to the guy who was crying on the bench, like obviously he's going to be having an emotional time. Like I, I think anyone who loses that game in that position is going to feel the same way. And to just be spotlighting that it just was, was cruel and unfortunate. And, you know, we hope that CBS learns their lesson and doesn't do that again. Cause that was truly messed up. And that leads right into our ninth takeaway, which is unfortunately the refs, stole the show yesterday i mean how many times did we see the refs on our tv it was ridiculous i was just like fed up with how much of those refs were you know all the flags being thrown all the you know random timeout stuff i mean i have a list here i'm going to go down it just because there was so much refereeing shenanigans yesterday that it was truly just a bad look for the nfl as a whole if you know you're a semi-casual sports fan and you were watching the nfl yesterday i don't think those games are going to make you want to become an nfl fan i mean there was you know let's go top to bottom the Devonte smith catch i mean Why didn't that get called down from the booth? Obviously, big mistake on Kyle Shanahan's part not to throw the challenge flag when clearly Devontae Smith was like, guys, we got to hurry to the line. I definitely didn't catch that. And the fact that no one threw the challenge flag, no one told him to throw the challenge flag was a huge mistake. But the referee replay booth also should have been able to get that from upstairs. That was a huge mistake that obviously was the opening drive of the game. And he converted a fourth and three 
into the red zone as opposed to turning the ball over on downs. Huge, huge moment there. And then that other Eagles drive too in the second quarter, there were three penalties that kept the drive alive on the 49ers. I think individually, each of them, you can see the justification, but when you're going to like call penalty after penalty, I think it just, it, it doesn't leave a good taste in the mouth of the fans. Like you got to let these guys play just a little bit more. I think one was a pass interference that even the referee analyst was kind of like, eh, that was a little questionable. I don't know if, if you can call that hundred percent of the time. So there was definitely some stuff where, I mean, if you're a 49ers fan, I think you were livid on that drive. And then of course you had the punt hitting the wire of, of that, you know, sky cam and then the referees, you know, sitting around talking about it for five minutes and then saying, oh, we can't confirm or deny whether it hit the cable. So we're just going to let it be like, what was up with that? I was so many, so many mistakes in both games. And then, of course, we've got the weird third down thing that happened in the Chiefs and Bengals game. Like, what what was that about? The whistle that nobody heard, that referee just stopping the play mysteriously and then the Chiefs getting another shot at that third down. You see the Bengals get the sack, kind of a ball don't lie moment. And then, of course, what do you know? It's a penalty going back the other way on a pass interference, giving the Chiefs the first down. And if I remember correctly, that was one of the weaker pass interference calls of the day. So there was just so much happening. I mean, the roughing the kicker that was called against the 49ers, I think was pretty questionable as well. Jordan Mason was kind of held and then pushed into the kicker. He only hit his kicking leg. And then they, you know, Dean Blandino is telling us, oh no, he just he hit him with so much force, guys, that it's actually still a roughing penalty. So that was just egregious. I think so much of the referees were on our TV, way too much screen time. And I mean, I just, before I went on this show, I just got off a call with Matt, uh, you know, the pod father. And he was like, tell his message to the refs is no one cares about you. Stop it. Stop getting on. Stop trying to get your little screen time. Stop trying to throw flags that determine the game. I mean, he was adamant that the call for, you know, the late hit on Mahomes shouldn't have been called because it just happened outside of the game. You can't decide the game with a penalty like that. They should have let, Harrison Butker attempt the kick from where Mahomes went out of bounds rather than gifting the Chiefs the game. Just absolutely egregious how much we had to see the referees on our TV yesterday, how much influence they had over the outcome of those games. I think if you think about the fourth quarter of the AFC game and the first half of the NFC game, right in the closest, tightest moments of those games, it felt like the refs were calling everything a certain way and it was just way too much of them on our screen. So I think that we're just going to have to you know, hope for a cleaner Super Bowl than that. And just you, Matt was, Potfather was so mad that he was, you know, calling for Roger Goodell's head. So let's, uh, you know, that's, that's just how bad it got out there. And then for our 10th takeaway of the day, where was this version of Marquez Valdez Scantling all season? MVS, like what, what, what was he doing? He's, he's, we've seen him drop all kinds of passes and we've seen him, you know have all these games with like two catches for 11 yards and all this stuff and then out of nowhere in the afc championship game obviously all the other good wide receivers on the chiefs were hurt but if he's been this capable of separating and making big plays for the chiefs where was that all season i mean you you guys might not have thought about this yet but the fact that his contract was it was a three-year deal but it definitely the chiefs had an out after this year and up until this point 
I was kind of thinking, why would they keep him? He hasn't done anything for them this year. And then I think this game probably single-handedly saved his job security for one more season. So good for MVS on that. He had six catches, 116 yards, and a touchdown on eight targets. 0.97 EPA per play when targeted, which is insane. Basically, any play that the Chiefs threw his way, they added a full point of expectation to their team. Very, very impressive game for him. I'm just wondering where, like literally where was that all season? And then I think also we got to shout out Isaiah Pacheco for his performance in the receiving game. I mean, he clearly was a, was a key outlet for Mahomes. He had a career high six targets, which believe it or not, is actually more targets than Travis Etienne has ever had in a game. Just, I don't know, for the sake of putting that out there and Isaiah Pacheco, simply a great game for him. And I, I mean, that guy just runs so pissed off every play. It's beautiful to see. And he made a clear, clear difference for the Chiefs. Also have to think about his dynasty stock is just rising and rising. The Chiefs are not going to keep Jarek McKinnon around forever. He's getting older. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has clearly not been it. I think that there's a lot of upside for Isaiah Pacheco to take over more of a three-down role next season after a full offseason as the starter. I mean... We're just all in on Isaiah Pacheco. Heart eyes for him, for his performance. Simply, simply great spot from Isaiah Pacheco. And then lastly, bonus takeaway. This is the 11th one for you. Where Cody and I are going to be live. Once again, if you guys missed it before I opened the show, Cody and I are going to be live from Radio Row in Phoenix at the Super Bowl. Top 10 takeaways, special edition. We're going to be talking about all the top 10 takeaways of the season just thinking about this fantasy season as a whole don't worry guys it's not top 10 takeaways about the pro bowl (laughs) and we're just so excited to be live from radio row so you guys you know be be on the lookout for that tune in it's going to be next tuesday at 7 p.m eastern time be sure to tune into that and on behalf of matt on behalf of roto underworld thank you for tuning into this show and i will see you guys next time